Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Is a interesting psalm. It is a psalm about repentance that leads to forgiveness, and and yet it's a song about this joy that we get. Um, it is the second in a list of penitent psalms, um, but it's unique in that. It is a thanksgiving instruction. It is an instruction to be thankful after your repentance. Um, So it's a little different in that. It is the first psalm that's called a mescal. This can be translated um, to mean understanding or wisdom. So the idea is he's imparting some kind of wisdom and understanding. Um, and it's there are only two of those psalms that are con- considered didactic poems. And this is, is along with um, oh, uh, 78. Um, so there's a lot of poetic things going on in this that we're not going to see because we're reading it in English. <laughs> and I'm not going to get into that because there's so much in here that we're not going to get through. This was actually Luther's, uh, one of one of the list in Luther's uh, list of Pauline Psalms because it speaks of faith apart from works. That this idea that God forgives it's not what we do, it's what he does. And and so there's a whole different uh, presentation that is, isn't obvious in the Old Testament. We see it now, because faith, faith is the victory that's overcome the world, right? So Luther really loved this psalm. Augustine himself was... This was his favorite psalm. He literally had it posted uh, in above his bed and read it every morning when he got up. Um, so there's some interesting stuff going on here. If those guys were really excited about this psalm, um, Daniel, Matthew, Revelation, Romans, all of those draw from this psalm. Um, so you're going to see some imagery. Uh, that is sprinkled all through the the word. Um, It's read at the end of the Day of Atonement. So the idea is, as you have fasted and prayed for God to, to heal the land, that this is the final statement that God does heal. He does forgive, as we have a right heart. Um, And it's also... Uh, a psalm that's read during Ash Wednesday. So as that's coming up pretty soon, um, that's something we don't necessarily get into, but it's a higher church thing. Um, for those of you who came from there, <laughs> you'll, you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, some think it's, it's a referencing David having uh, uh, fallen with Bathsheba and, and that whole situation. Uh, and it ties to Psalm 51, but I'm not totally sure about that. I just think it's it's what it is. And so I'm, I'm going to present it that way and not really tie it to that. But that is something that, that many people do. So 
take from that as you will. Let's get into it. A Psalm of David, a Mescal. How blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's interesting. There is three things that are going on, three blessings and three problems that we're dealing with. The first one being transgression. That is literally going beyond or tearing away from God. And and that is the heart of, I'm going to leave you behind. I am in rebellion against God. God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to pull away. And you know, as parents, if any of you have had children and you're trying to hold on to a kid and they're ready to go away, they get rebellious and they pull away. It's that same imagery that we get where a kid is just like, I'm off. And you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm going to keep a hold of you. That is the, the attitude of transgressions. Sins, on the other hand, are a missing of the mark. They are literally imperfections. And I would, I would limit this uh, to more of character flaw. So, literally, we are imperfect in our character. We don't have the love of God. We don't have the grace that he calls, He has. We don't have the compassion or the holiness or the righteousness of God. And so, we are imperfect in our character. We have a flaw. And that's the idea of sin. And finally, you have an iniquity, which implies a twisting we take what God has given us and we've literally twisted it to something else. We, our understanding and our thinking becomes twisted and construed to what it really isn't. And he says uh, there is, there's a guilt and punishment that goes along with twisting something. And, and so there's, there's this dual idea of, of punishment in in the turning of the nose, the uh, um, just this this twisting idea goes along with punishment. On the other side, the transgression is forgiven. This is literally lifting the burden of you having broken loose, of your willful disobedience. Isaiah says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. And and he ties two of these ideas together in that, that passage. But the idea that we willfully turned away, and he has covered, or forgiven, and lifted the burden of being willfully disobedient. Second, he's covered us. Not only does he cover our, our uh, sin, but he literally, the, the idea is he covers his eyes as a judge. The, you know, we say the, uh, the justice is blind. Or, uh, and, and so that's the idea, is, is he doesn't see these, trans, these sins anymore. He doesn't see our imperfections. Um, interesting 
we see this idea back in Genesis. Adam had attempted to cover up his sin. He tried to hide from God. And what happened? Once the sin was revealed and the the honesty came out, yeah, okay, I did this, God was able to then cover him because his his realization, I'm I'm naked. I'm exposed. God said, I will cover you and and hide your exposure because I don't want your flaws to be seen. I want you to be perfect. I want to forgive that sin. And so you see that whole imagery going on there. And finally, we have this idea of our iniquities uh, not being, uh, it says, he doesn't impute iniquity. This is literally, he doesn't put it on account or add uh, or add to the record. In other words, the record that you have of the problems that you've created, the sins that you have, the transgressions, the whatever, that record is expunged. It's it's not imputed to you. It's it's instead on Christ's record as opposed to ours. And it's canceled out. And literally, our twistingness becomes straightened. And, and you'll see at the end of this, he says, all these things, that's what the blessing is. The blessing of God is he is imparting covering for us, forgiveness for us. He's not holding us accountable in, in what we really deserve. But here's the catch. Whose spirit there is no deceit. He doesn't do this until we're honest about our problems with him. He says, the one who has these blessings has a character of honesty about himself. We all know once we come to Christ. We come because we know we are have transgressed him, his law. We have been imperfect. We are not in his character. We are not worthy of forgiveness, but he has called us worthy. And he says that's the blessing. But here the catch is their dishonesty is gone. The idea is that there's a fraud. It's not just dishonesty. They're not fraudulent about who they are. They're not insincere about who they are. We're real. And you can't deal with problems until you're real about them. That they are really problems. That they are really imperfections. That they are really sins in my life. Adam Clark says, the deceitful and desperately wicked heart is annihilated, being emptied of sin and filled with righteousness. That is the necessarily a happy man. When you've experienced the annihilation 
of the judgment that God holds against you and he calls you righteous, then you can really be happy because there's joy in the house of the Lord. Romans quotes the verse uh, in chapter 4 and it goes on to say that to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. We don't believe that we're perfect. John tells us, if you think you don't have sin, you are lying to yourself. And and you can't have this joy. Because the joy is the forgiveness. Paul goes on to say, he was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised for our justification. That's our joy, that he has now justified us to be in his presence, despite who we are. The God of truth requires absolute honesty with ourselves and with each other. And we won't receive the blessings that he wants to give you if you are hiding from him any aspect in your life. The only answer to the problem is truth. He is the God of truth. Ephesians says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Part of the blessing is no longer being (laughs) self-condemned. We have been given grace. And that's where David's going to take us now. To the experience of being condemned. Verse 3 says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of the heat of summer. Selah. That is, think about that. Meditate on this reality. Carrying a guilty conscience has an effect on us. Emotionally, ultimately can lead into physical problems, not to mention spiritual drain. And it all stems from us not being honest with sin in our lives. Not being honest about our need to change our imperfections and our need for him to change us into his image. Matthew Henry writes, the wounds of sin not opened will fester and grow intolerably painful. The reality is we all wish God would ignore our sin 
because we like to ignore our sin. But we can attempt to deny it, repress it, you know, suppress it, and not address it. But when we do that, it just festers. It stays, and it eats away like a gangrene our relationship with God. And ultimately, that leaves a scar. When you don't address something that is killing your body, it ultimately will leave you with damage. And we know that nerve damage causes us to be insensitive. When you keep allowing sin, a specific sin in your life, to repeat and repeat and repeat, and you keep denying that it's sin, it's just going to fester. And ultimately, it leaves you at a place where you don't call it sin anymore. Because you have no sensitivity to it. 1 Timothy 4 says, But the Spirit explicitly says, In later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. What's the issue? It's deception. There is a spirit of deception within them. And doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars. Who are these liars? They are seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. They have continued the lie so long that they completely deny accountability for their sin. They don't call it sin anymore. And we are in danger of that if there is sin in your life that you continue to allow to fester. Ephesians 4 says they've been darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in their heart and they have become callous you know learning to play guitar the challenge of of getting calluses on your fingers was really good because then it didn't hurt anymore (laughs) for other aspects it's really bad because it doesn't hurt anymore We don't know that there's a problem. You talk to somebody that has nerve damage and they have to be very, very sensitive to their surrounding. You go over and you put your hand on the stove and you have no nerves and it just keeps burning your hand away and you're oblivious to it. That's what sin does to your life. You let it fester and it just keeps burning and burning away your character. But God, in his love, won't let us ignore it. That's his heart. Rather, he disciplines us and not wanting to see us destroy ourselves. Corinthians says, but when we are judged... We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Hebrews says his disciplines us for our good so that 
we may share in his holiness. Because if we aren't disciplined, if we aren't corrected, we lose fellowship with God. And we don't get to share in his holiness. How do we share in it? Jesus said, take my yoke. Come to me. You're weary. You're worn out. You are losing sensitivity because you're working so hard. And the sin is just destroying you. I want to give you rest for your soul. What happens? David in verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I didn't hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Rather than hiding in self-denial, David chooses to acknowledge it. And this is the reason God says he has a heart after the Father. Because he's constantly willing to repent. Doesn't mean David was perfect. And we all just have to read a few verses and find out how messed up David really was. But he was quick to repent. He was quick to confess, I have sinned against you. And I need healing for that. He has to be honest, and we have to be honest. And when we are, the result is forgiveness. I want you to notice something interesting. That this forgiveness, he says, I'm going to do this. I I acknowledged my sin. I said, I will confess my, my transgressions. When did he forgive? When his heart changed, not necessarily when he started confessing. I'll give you an example that Jesus gave. The prodigal son. He said, hey, I messed up. I need to go back to my father. Maybe he'll forgive me. But I need to confess my stupidity to my father. And maybe I can be one of his slaves. And what happened with the father? He's watching and waiting patiently. And he sees him afar off coming. And he runs. Before the child could say anything, he knew he's coming back to me. That's the heart of God. He knows our real heart. First John says, if we say that we have no sin and we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not just from those that we've confessed, but all of it. The stuff that we don't really recognize or are callous to. Proverbs says, 
If you conceal your transgressions, you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. That's the heart. Honesty. Therefore, verse 6, let everyone who is godly pray to you. And in a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. What happens when we experience that? It's all about him. You, you, you. You hide me, shelter me, protect me, surround me, encompass me. You're my means of life. What happened before David was hiding from everything and hiding anything he could in his sin. Now he is hidden in God. See how that works? You can't hide in the Lord if you're not honest with him. Because he doesn't know what to hide. Well, he does, but you're not willing to hide there for that purpose. David is talking about some floodwaters that won't reach him. Um, In that region, some of the rivers during the summer will dry up and rivers like the Kishon will just suddenly overflow to the point of literally destroying whole armies. And so he's referencing these these floodwaters that come in and he says when the floodwaters come you'll be hidden, you'll be protected Call on the Lord before the flood waters, before the judgment comes. There's some interesting readings here. It could read that when the flood waters come, it won't affect the one given in prayer. Or call before the flood waters come so that they won't affect you. Isaiah says. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and be, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have compassion on him and abundantly pardon. When we're condemned in our sin, we need to know that there's forgiveness. What does he do here? He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. We are to be those songs of deliverance to the world around us. He is surrounding people around you. You are around all kinds of people that need to hear that there is deliverance from sin. That there is grace. That there is healing you are the song of deliverance to a dying world and he has sent you out for that purpose to proclaim 
the love of God. That they can be delivered. That they can be honest with God. They don't have to hide anymore. He will change them and redeem them. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we get in him? We have to be honest with ourselves. And we have to be honest with him. We have to let him start that surgery. To cut away the things that are rotting in our lives. That are rotting our our existence. James says, He who turns a sinner from the errors of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's who we're to be. Those who save people. That we are honest about sin and we call them to repentance. We call them to their own honesty. so that their sins can be covered just like ours. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. There's some question on who's talking here. Uh, Some think it's David. And he's speaking to Solomon or his children. And he says, you know, this is my experience. And I want to tell you about it, and now I'm going to tell you how to deal, right? I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to teach you. So you don't have to deal with the stupidity that I've already done. You won't have to continue dealing with that. Having learned the lesson of grace, he's now equipped to teach it. Others think think God's speaking here. He says, I've offered you grace. I've given you grace. I am surrounding you with songs of deliverance. But now I'm going to instruct you. You need to move on. Now that you've dealt with this little issue that we dealt with, we're going to move on. I'm going to instruct you and make you consider things a little deeper than what you first understood. To be circumspective, to really look at your life and see the honesty you need to have with yourself and with me. I'm going to teach you, point out and direct you and inform you, here's where we're going, here's where you need to be, here's how you mature. I'm going to counsel you, advise you to join in deliberating on the things that you're dealing with with me instead of apart from me. With my eyes upon you. I'm going to be your oversight. I'm going to watch over you. I see it all. And I'm here. I know what you're going through. 
and I'm going to meet you in it. You already know that I'm a God that forgives. Let me be that to you. In another sense, he gives us new spiritual eyes. He places his eye on us in that we now have his eye. We are now able to perceive things through his perception. We can now call things sin that we didn't call sin before because we were lying. We have a new perspective on life, on reality, that isn't of the world, but is of God. Because we've submitted to his leadership. Now here's the issue. Verse 9 says, Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose trapping includes a bit and a bridle to hold him in check. Otherwise, they won't even come to you. Don't be resistant to God. David has been stubborn. He's dealt with that. He says, listen, let me instruct you. Don't be who I was. Because God will correct you. One way or another, you're going to deal with it. Don't be something that has to be forced. Rather, join in fellowship with the Lord. Become a co-worker. A willing participant in his work. That's what he's called us all to. Interesting, it could be translated, they will not come in the essence that they literally have no desire to come. They just they just won't. They do not come, that is, they have no mental capability of hearing the word of God, of hearing God calling them. They just are deaf to it. They, they won't stay with you, is another way to look at it, or to translate it. That there is no connection or ability to abide with you. And, and finally, there's, there is no coming to you. Not that they won't, just, they, they just, it's not possible. There is no possibility that they're going to come. A mule is stubborn. He's not going to come because you just said, hey, come here. Interesting. um, Calvin actually translated, lest they kick against thee, which ties it back to Acts, where Paul is on the road to Damascus and God says, why do you kick against the goats? Why are you resisting me? Why are you acting like a horse or a mule that needs to be bridled and forced. You are resisting God. He said, oh no. And it that probably pulled this psalm out for Paul. And he said, I am being what I was warned not to be. We 
we should use the wisdom and intelligence we've had that we've been given to be rational and sensical not like beasts but obedient and faithful because we know who he is he is calling us to something better in fact he's calling us to the best we think we have it good or we think we're doing things that are best for us but they're not because there's an aspect of sin still in it and it's making us callous and we need to deal with it don't be an ass is what he's saying Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, love and kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. What's the contrast? Those who are unrepentant and rebellious are going to be sorrowful if they're not already. That's just the result. It leaves you grieving over yourself. It leaves you depressed. It leaves you unsure and anxious and frustrated. But those who entrust themselves to the merciful God, the loving God, become led into joy in their lives. It becomes the joy and the rejoicing of your heart. Because he is a God that is loving kindness. That cares for you. What happened with Abraham? He believed in the Lord. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. We are declared upright in the we are honest with him. It's not about the sin that we're really guilty of. It's that we're honest and we are calling him truth. And what he said about us, true. And we're ready to deal with ourselves truthfully. That's the catch. That's how we get changed. If we continue with the same old... We're not being honest. We're just going to be callous and dry up and not be sensitive anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've called us to trust you, to believe on you. We know that there's lots of sins in our lives that we are ignorant to. We pray that your spirit would reveal that to us. That we would be people of integrity and honesty with you. We know that there's always something hidden because we are deceptively wicked. Our hearts are just broken. And we need your healing. We need your forgiveness.
and we need your grace. So Father, we just ask for that today. That your spirit would reveal to us and convict us of sins and transgressions of iniquity that need to be dealt with. That we would be those that are honest and broken before you. Pray that you would lift us up. Change us into your image. Heal our brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen.